welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. Friday again, and we got a little bit of chill in the air, so the East Coast for sure is starting to get into fall, which is nice because yeah, the leaves are beautiful and we don't have to worry about people leaving their animals out in a hot car quite so much. But you also have to remember that you know a lot of you guys, and I get so many calls and emails um, and text messages and everything regarding people who purchased or adopted dogs during COVID. And I want to talk about that today. Now, what exactly is a COVID puppy or a COVID dog? Well, some of you have been avid dog lovers your whole life, and your dog just either happened to pass or you decided to add another animal into your pack, um, into your family, whether it's a sugar glider or it's a, a cockatoo or it's a Great Dane. It's, it's a new addition to the family. And every time you bring a new addition into your family, Everyone else has to get used to it. It's kind of like bringing a baby into a family that hasn't had a baby in a while. And everyone has to remember and kind of go back, kind of riding that proverbial bicycle, get back on. And the problem is that some people are fine getting right back into it. But if you, especially if you had a smaller dog or an animal that lasted, you know, 15 years, you might have been 50 when you had your last dog, your last puppy. And you might be 65 or even older when you have your next one. So you're not the same person that you were 15, 20 years ago. And the same way, everything has changed so, so very much in that short time. So, I mean, short, really not short, but it does seem short. We all remember when we got that puppy. But we have a whole other group of people, and I'm talking to you, group of people, who decided... We're all home because of COVID. Let's all go out and get dogs. Let's go find a puppy mill. Let's go find a backyard breeder that breeds some kind of designer dog. You guys are going to hate me, but you're still going to listen because you know I'm right. Let's go grab a dog, spend four, five, six thousand dollars on a mutt, and we're going to have the best life ever. Well, first of all, most of the mixes, not all, but most of the mixes, are a lot more energy than you would have out of the, the breeds they came from. So, for instance, there's some wonderful mixes, wonderful, like a Cavalier with a Poodle or a Cavalier with a Bichon because Cavalier King Charles Spaniels have eye issues, serious heart issues, like serious, serious heart issues. So, actually, if you mix those, you tend, not always, but you have probably about a 75% chance that your puppy is not going to be so prone to cardiac issues and eye issues. But then let's take some of the others. Let's mix what's an energetic dog. Let's pick, I don't know, a golden, a lab. Let's mix it with poodle, which is kind of dominant. I love poodle, love standard poodles. But let's face it, they're a working breed. They're more confident. Um, they tend to be smarter, although we have some real goofballs in our service dog program, but they're, they're typically very smart. So now you hope that you're getting a smart dog who's calm and who has the sweetness of the lab or the golden, but you really got the hyperactivity that the golden or lab doesn't calm itself down typically till four or five, six years of age. And you get the dominance of the other parent, let's say in this case, a standard poodle. So now you have a dominant out of control dog. And again, this is not all of them. Uh, it's about 25, 50, 25. It's called a Punnett square. It's a genet a basic genetics. It looks like a kind of like a misshapen tic-tac-toe board. So if you have a dog who has way too much energy, it could be congenital genetic. It probably is because that's just how these guys are. And it used to be, you know, 10 years ago, maybe, I don't know, 15% of my, my clients, my new patients were these poodle mixes. And now it's probably 40 to 50%, almost, I won't say all, but almost half of the dogs that I see are anywhere between eight weeks old, which I never did before, and maybe two or three years of age. They've bitten people, they're run out the door, they've broken legs, you know, running out the door and getting hit by a car, they've bitten the kid in the lip. Um, I, I mean, I can't even tell you how often I hear this. Well, what's really frustrating and so sad 
is that that didn't have to happen because nobody now, because everybody's in the me, 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 me generation and the COVID, I can be rude to people and slam my shopping cart into the side of their car and not care because I don't like them because I don't know them, but I'm just entitled and I'm a narcissist now. Oh, okay, great. I'm not. I'm not personally, but a lot of people are. There's a lot of people with mental illness who are just running rampant. There are people who are just spoiled brats who are doing things. And what's happening is the dogs and the cats and the animals who are coming out of either shelters, rescues, or, you know, predominantly uh, puppy mills and backyard breeders, these people are breeding and breeding and breeding and breeding and overbreeding the same mother, the same father. Sometimes the mother might be bred to her son. The father might be breeding to his daughter. You have no idea, and it doesn't matter what the papers say because there's no genetics to it. There's no health checks, OFA. There's no um, hips, elbows, thyroid, bare surf, any of these tests. And that's a problem. So some of you guys are getting a dog that's genetically defective. Well, it's your first-time dog owner, second-time dog owner, or the people I love when my patients have owners that say, but I've had dogs my whole life. All right, you're 30. How long have you had dogs? 30 years. Okay, how many dogs? Three. So you've had three dogs. I do. I see more than three dogs in a day. I probably see about five or six in a day average, unless I'm doing a, a shelter or rescue, in which case that obviously is increased exponentially. But you don't know the dog. You don't know each dog. Now, when you go for a rescue dog, a lot of people feel that, you know, that's a great thing to rescue, but a lot of people are scared off. They say, oh, I want to get a doodle thing. I want to get some kind of you know, science experiment because they're cute and they don't shed. Well, first of all, most of them do shed. But let me tell you something. I've been babysitting for my friend's dogs and she has two Maltese and a Yorkie. The Yorkie does not shed a lot. The two Maltese, I have white hair throughout my 19-room house. I've had white hair in my food three floors up or where the dogs are. They're in, in one of my guest suites. I have... Dog hair, not for my dogs, but from her dogs, in my food, all right, on my plate, on my desk. So, you know, and the other thing is the grooming. It's, it's an enormous, enormous cost when you start going and getting these dogs for groomer. That's assuming you can find a groomer, like if you can find a groomer. So what ends up happening is you have... Uh, a dog that you buy from somebody uh, who really didn't care about them, and they call themselves a breeder, but really a breeder breeds to better the breed. A breeder breeds to improve the breed, to make a breed. Well, if you have something that's not a breed, then obviously there's nothing to breed to improve. So that's where uh, it tends to be almost like, you know, you look at them and you say, well, you're obviously a puppy male because you're not a breeder because you're not breeding a breed. Breeder is a person who breeds to improve the quality, temperament, conformation, movement, longevity, health, and all that of a particular breed of dogs. People who just take, you know, go to a pet store and buy or, or buy a, or rescue a, a little toy poodle that's, just, you know, got issues and nasty and everything else and how many health issues and they take that and they go find a golden retriever or a lab, or a Sheltie, or whatever the heck they want to breed to. And they're, yeah, they're cute. I mean, I personally don't like those. I just don't like the hair coat on them. It's just not, I don't know, it's like sensory issue or something. I don't like it. But do you know how much it costs to groom one of your doodles? And you got to do it almost every month. You got to wash them a few times a month. But because they, they, they get so dirty, everything sticks to them. It goes right into their coat, where a poodle, you wouldn't have that problem. But these poodle mixes particularly have a lot of issues. Um, you know, they have to go to the groomer. Some of them have entropion, which is where the eyelid actually turns inward, and the dog has, like, weepy eyes, and it can actually be surgically repaired. 
Um, but of course, that's pre-existing condition. So when you get the puppy, it'll already have that. You might not notice it, but entropian is a genetic uh, congenital issue. And that is, you know, it's not a major thing, but it's, it's surgery around the eye. You have to make sure you have a good, good, good surgeon or a, a general vet who is you know, very good and, and knows what he's doing and isn't going to cause problems or damage the eye inside. Um, but basically, these dogs have a lot of issues. If you go to a rescue, you know, there are rescues that are that's full, like replete with, um, you know, hundreds sometimes of these poodle mixes because people get them, uh, and a lot of them are first-time dog owners. There are a lot of energy. They're hyper, not all, not all, not even most, but a lot of them, the ones I see. Remember, nobody calls me and says, hi, Janice, can you come over? I got the best golden retriever puppy in the whole world. He's so perfect. He's nine weeks old. I would send you away. I'd say, go to a local obedience trainer. You don't need me. But I've also seen, unfortunately, 10 and 11, 12-week-old puppies, mixes of, you know, usually either poodle or or some other thing like Sharpay. Cocker Spaniel, God only knows why you would do that. Um, let's get a dog who bites small children. Hey, let's get two of them. Okay. Um, but the problem is that people don't know. And I think most people, if they knew, and if they actually researched it, would change their mind. But you're grooming, just to bathe a dog, forget about cutting it, clipping it, is somewhere between 50 and good luck on that one, and $150 a month. And if you have one that's got longer hair, you might even need to get that done more often. So just let's say where your Rhodesian Ridgeback or your Boxer or your uh, Jack Russell or anything else that's got short fur um, would not need that constant grooming, your Poodle Mix is going to need that. And just get used to it, get ready for it, because it's going to happen. So let's throw $150 on that. Let's throw health insurance, because if you don't have pet health insurance, oh boy. You don't have pet health insurance. You're going to be having a lot of expenses. So I do recommend it. Um, there are a couple different companies out there. I use Trupanion. Um, I, I have like a, a, a great relationship with them because I'm a breeder. So all my puppies, my Rhodesian Ridgeback puppies who are, you know, best in show, grand champion, gold grand champion, uh, Ridgebacks uh, are all insured. So if something happens... Um, I've got two of them that are one over a hundred thousand, one who's at 90 something thousand who will be over a hundred thousand when she's done with the procedure she just had done at an incredible vet hospital in lower New York state. Um, but the insurance is going to be super important, especially if you're a first time dog owner, get good insurance. Don't get one that has a limit of $3,000 a year, because if your dog has cancer and needs a $20,000, $3,000 isn't a whole lot. And for a little bit more money, you're getting a better policy through one of the other companies. There are two that are really good, and there's another one that's pretty good. The rest of them are, yeah, not really so hot. Um, so it is a really great idea if you do have a dog, and especially if you're a newer dog owner, um, it really is a great, um, you know, great idea for you to be able to do things that are going to facilitate an easier transition, not just for you, um, you know, it's so cool. Um, and uh, just got some news that uh, dog, one of my dogs just won the group and is in for best in show um, and down in uh, a, a big show here. So, yay, go, go, go. Go, Pops, go. We love you. Um, so that's super exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of it is really just, um, making sure that you're familiar with everything and that you are, um, you know, able to do the things that you need to do, the things that, like, you don't want to have a dog that is going to prevent you from being able to go out with your girlfriends in the afternoon. You don't want to have a dog who's going to have so many issues that you can't have somebody over at your house. Um, you know, and it's really... There's just so many things that people just don't understand that when you um, have a dog, it's a big responsibility. Um, and if you don't remember, if you don't do that, I, I always tell people, why don't you just go to a, a local rescue? And before you, you do anything, 
um, and you, you know, before you do a lot of things, then you really have to um, figure out what's going to be, not today, tomorrow, the next day, but, you know, are you going to be going on a lot of vacations? Well, guess what? Babysitting for a dog can be very expensive. It can be uh, anywhere from 50 to a couple of hundred dollars a day um, at a really top place. Um, that does take really good care of your dog. So it's so, so, so expensive, and, and it is a big expense. So the cheapest thing is get the good health insurance. Um, but, you know, obviously, um, if you're you know not able to afford that, um, you know, then, then at least try to get something or have a little slush fund. But it's like people, you know, health care for people. We really need to have that, and that is something that I think is just, not even an option. I think that's um, really an, an amazing, um, you know, gift that you can give your dog of a long, healthy life. So when you get your first dog, let's say for you, the COVID puppies, the biggest problem is people weren't socializing and people didn't want, um, you know, uh, to have, um, you know, people don't want to have problems, right? So people, um, you know, are, are generally just going into something, they go, oh, look how cute it is. Oh, my friend got one just like it. Oh, my gosh. Um, and the issue really is that what are you going to do when you have a dog who has a problem? What do you do when you have this just this adorable little dog and the dog just bit your kid in the eye or the dog ran out the door and attacked your neighbor's dog or when your dog doesn't stop barking and it won't shut up and you're getting kicked out of your townhouse or co-op or condo or apartment because the dog doesn't stop? What do you do when your dog is lunging at everybody else's dogs and children? What do you do when your dog is urinating and defecating all over the house and you're renting the house and you just got a $5,000 bill to change the carpet throughout the whole apartment? You know, there are a lot of things people don't think about, but specifically COVID puppies. And COVID puppies, because they haven't been able to socialize um, and do everything that they should be doing, like we would have done with others during, you know, prior to lockdown, um, you know, it's, it's a big problem. So the dogs are now becoming uh, a bit more protective, possessive, aggressive, very dominant. They are treating uh, people and other dogs as interlopers. They're not treating them as other members of the family. So think about normally, right? You know, puppies, puppies very rarely, of course, I see the ones that are bad, but very rarely will I see a puppy under probably 16 weeks that has a growl or a, a, a bark or trying to do anything or, or hurt anybody. Because they're puppies. I have my uh, four of my, well, two or five and a half months, two or six months of these amazing, amazing, amazing dogs that I have. And they're puppies. So I let them run through my 19-room house. And, yes, they do run through the house. But they don't jump on things. They don't damage anything. They just have a little racetrack. But if I walk and I tell them just be calm, that's not the words I use, I don't use words, but if they know that I just want them to walk calmly, they'll just walk very calmly up the steps, down the steps. They'll walk calmly through the house. So it's whatever the rules are. You have to, remember, you have to set rules. If you don't set rules for your dog, your dog's going to set rules for you. That's when we get into problems. So, for instance, um, if you are... Uh, going to, uh, you know, hopefully um, have this dog and have the dog for a long time, start thinking about, do you want to get a dog that is going to be larger, smaller? I mean, some of the mixes, like mixes tend to live longer, but they also, some of them have a lot of issues. So you say something like, you say, oh, okay, let's, uh, let's mix a poodle, a standard poodle, um, and let's mix it with, let's say, a golden. All right. So standard poodles are very likely to get cataracts. Well, you know, these poodle golden mixes, a lot of them have cataracts because you know what? 
golden retrievers can have a high propensity towards getting them as well. So that's where our issue starts. Make sure that you're introducing the dog. Make sure you're getting a dog. And and I would stick with either a purebred or a rescue. Don't go patronizing people who are breeding and breeding and breeding the same mother and father till they can't produce more puppies and then they dump them or kill them. So that's really what happens with a lot of them. Now, there are some people who try to do it right and they'll actually do genetic tests. But my question to them is, why don't you just breed a real breed, right? Why don't you breed something that's an actual breed that people have spent, you know, 400, 500, 1,000 years breeding? Stick with that. You know, don't reinvent the wheel. You have some amazing breeds, and there's some exotic breeds that haven't been accepted by AKC, but they're actual breeds. Breeds take hundreds of years, not dozens of years. So when you first started in 1989 with Wally Conroe with the first uh, poodle lab mix, and by the way, everybody's, I'm sure, seen the article about him in USA Today where he ruse the day that he um, created this. He had a good idea because he was looking for somebody um, who was allergic, whose husband you know, was very allergic to dogs, and somebody whose husband needed a guide dog. So he thought, huh, I guess I'll breed uh, a, a standard poodle to a lab. Well, that's what he did. So it sounded like a good idea, but he was not happy with what he got. And he couldn't get rid of them. Nobody would buy them. Well, somebody then coined the phrase Labradoodle. And people said, oh, it's a breed? Oh, that's so cute. Now, do they shed F1s? Yes. F2, which the quote-unquote breeders like to call F1B, that's like being half of a filial generation, half of a generation. You can't be half pregnant. It's not F1B. It's an F2. So what they do is they say the B is like crossing back to a a poodle. So I guess it would be the same F1B, which doesn't exist. It would be F1B if they bred a lab back in, but they don't breed the lab back in, which would probably give you a good dog because then it's going to definitely shed. But the COVID puppies, some of you guys are just starting out with puppies that are just genetically messed up. And I don't know how else to say that um but you know you have to be careful buyer beware you know caveat emptor um if you're going to spend you know tens of thousands of dollars through the course of this dog's life why don't you just go to an akc show breeder of merit and get a good dog to start out with there's so many amazing breeds and get one or if you want to save money and save a life i think it's wonderful for you to go out and rescue. And they have these rescues, all breed rescues. We just got two poodle mixes out in Missouri, out near the ranch. Um, and they're they're great. But somebody else would have probably paid $4,000 or something for these things. The other problem is you have people who are saying, oh, this is a multi-poo. And you can see that it's like got Westie in it or it's got Chihuahua in it. I mean, you know, and then you get mad like, well, they told me it was blah, blah, blah. Yes, but they are not kind people. They are ripoff artists because they are, they don't care. You're going to, my bet, my favorite thing is when they have these guarantees and they say, we'll take the dog back if there's ever any problems with it and give you a new one. Now, anybody who's ever held a baby, your newborn in your arms, anybody who's ever held a puppy and spent even a few weeks with the puppy, you're going to tell me that you're going to actually give that puppy back. And no, of course you're not. So those guarantees are empty. They're absolutely empty guarantees. So why do you, why do you even care? And there's a point at which you say, caveat emptor, the dog is not really going to be, um, a, you know, a, a, a legit dog. It's going to have issues. I mean, I can't even tell you how many people have severe temperament and health issues uh, on these mixes. But if that's what you want and that's what you got and you went into it knowing that you're going to have potential problems and and maybe thinking that maybe you'll be fine, right? Maybe you'll be totally fine. So that's fine too. But now you got the dog. Well, now you might have issues already that you're starting with from birth. 
or from fertilization or, or when the neural tube is forming. But all of a sudden now you have COVID. Not you have COVID, but we have COVID. We all have COVID. So now we start isolating the dogs. What do we do? Because we don't want somebody to touch our dog, right? So what do we do? We pull our dog back when the person comes over to touch our dog. And what does our dog do? Oh, okay, I better not go near that person. And then a kid comes up and you pull the dog back. Oh, don't touch the dog. And the dog thinks, "Uh uh-oh, people are strange and, and maybe they're a little scary. And the more times that happens, that the dog is seeing what we know, but that it doesn't know, that the dog starts believing that those people are a threat and may start barking, growling, or protecting you against them. So that's where we start getting into problems. The other thing with dogs, we typically aren't going to dog parks. If people are going to dog parks, they're going in with a leash, which is the worst thing in the world. They're taking a dog who's not social or who's very dominant or even aggressive, and they're bringing that dog into uh, a pack of dogs. And what does everybody do when there's a dog fight or there's a problem? They all go to pick up the little dog in the middle. That's the wrong thing to do. You should be going in and grabbing the biggest dog or the one who's creating the problem. That owner should be taking that dog out. But why? what are you doing in the dog park? There's diseases. There's canine influenza. There is, um, you know, there's kennel cough. There's, uh, there's um, coccidia, you know, coccidia. There's uh, worms in there potentially. There could be giardia in some standing water. There can be ticks or, or, you know, Lyme disease or anaplasmosis. I mean, there are so, so many really bad things. And all of these things may, um, you know, actually not ever happen, but they also can happen. And, you know, we've all heard of, um, you know, sometimes a little child will go to a petting zoo and they contract the E. coli, um, I think 537, but they contract um, or contract the, um, the E. coli bacteria. And these kids can have all kinds of nerve issues or even paralysis and, and uh, it basically eats their brain. It's terrible. Well, you say, oh, that's not going to happen to my kid. Well, I know two people who have children who went to a petting zoo, different times, different places, contracted the virus or the bacteria from E. coli bacteria. And one died and the other one is kind of a vegetable. We're working with her. She's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful little girl. But I bet those parents wish they never went to that petting zoo that day. And a lot of you are going to have buyer's remorse when you have this dog who is just driving you nuts, maybe being aggressive, maybe jumping on things, ripping your stockings, ripping your clothes, chewing things, putting holes in your sweatshirt or, you know, whatever it is because the dog hasn't been, been trained. Then we have another problem that everybody is now a dog trainer. I cannot tell you. The guy at the bakery is now a dog trainer. The guy who owns the little printing shop and couldn't make a living at that, he's a dog trainer. Oh, and then we train service dogs. Okay, so now these people who don't even know how to train a dog um, and are, are literally holding a dog up, hanging it by the throat by a choker chain, by a metal choker chain, now they're going to train service dogs. There's no certifications uh, whatsoever, and it is extremely disheartening. Do not ever allow anybody to harm your dog, to use a shock collar, to use a prong collar, to use a choker chain. We deal with bad dogs, like bad dogs, like bad dogs that have killed other animals, really, you know, mauled people. And we can fix them. I can fix them. However, the problem is that if a dog has a congenital issue or if a dog has potentially a neurological issue, a condition that's underlying it, for instance, a heart murmur, not a, not a grade one, but if your dog has a two plus, three, or God forbid, even higher, four, uh, five heart murmur, that can cause aggression in the dog. Bet you didn't know that. Thyroid insufficiencies, hypothyroid, not hyper, hypothyroid can absolutely cause a dog 
to be aggressive. The Lyme vaccine can cause that for a few days. Lyme disease can cause that long term. There are so many different aspects of of dogs and the different things that can happen um, because of not properly training and teaching and not starting out with good genetics. So why are we all doing this again? Well, we got COVID, right? COVID made people who really shouldn't have had a dog and some people who should have had a dog but should have not done it at this time in their lives buy dogs. And the dogs they're buying are very often subpar genetically, um, psychologically, behaviorally, and it's just a giant mess. And we've got all these sweet little guys, little puppies and dogs, even the ones that have done something egregious, right? And we've never taught them that wasn't supposed to be. Um, It's our fault. It's not their fault. It's our fault. We as a society, we as human race, have completely failed our dogs. That's why I want you to listen to my show, because I'm going to teach you how not to be one of those people. I'm going to teach you how to have the best dog in the world. So we're going to do this every week. We're going to go through a different aspect. And stay tuned, because our next half of the show, From Shelter Dog to Service Dog, is coming up in a moment. Stay tuned. And welcome back. I am so excited that you guys are here and we got to talk in a spirited discussion uh, with me, myself, and I about COVID puppies and about buying a dog versus rescuing a dog. But now let's talk about what you need to do when you are thinking, hey, you know what? I want to train a service dog. So if you want to train your own service dog, that is great. Just remember about one in a hundred, and I'm talking from puppies on up, that one in a hundred dogs on average can be trained to be a service dog. Now, what does that mean? What is what is a service dog compared to an emotional support dog or therapy dog or companion dog? Well, a service dog mitigates a disability for someone who has a disability. So if you don't have a disability, you're training a dog to do something for nothing. It is not a service dog just because it does tasks. It becomes a service dog because the dog's tasks help to mitigate the disability of the owner or handler. That is why that happens, okay? So um, if you're able to, you know, actually get out there and to say, you know what, I have a disability, I'm confident that, you know, the dog can help, then let's think about what kind of dog should you get, right? Should you get, you know, you need a guide dog or you have a dog you need for mobility, Probably looking at a dog that's over 80 pounds and that is tall is going to be better than looking at a dachshund. Dachshunds are cute, but they're not going to be really helpful. I call them single-use dogs, single-use service dogs, because you fall on them once and crush them, and then they're not usable again. And I'm being sarcastic and facetious, but I'm also being really honest about that. So start looking for a dog that fits what you need. Now, How about if you travel a lot, you live in the city, um, you need a dog for a diabetic alert dog? Well, guess what? You can actually have a dog who alerts to you because the dog doesn't need to provide uh, comfort or deep pressure therapy. The dog really doesn't need to do a lot of the things um, that, you know, maybe a larger dog might be asked to do. But there's no reason because the dog just has to be within about four feet of the mouth of the handler, mouth and nose, in order to alert to blood sugar seizures or many of the other cortisol, any of the other things. So one of the uh, biggest and most important aspects is make sure that the dog is going to be the right dog for your uh, service that you re- that you require. Now, most of us say, oh, you know, I love the such and such a breed. Like, I love my Ridgebacks. I don't imagine ever having anything but them. But I'm also an expert. I've been a behaviorist my whole life. Um, I've got an Ivy League, you know, Columbia University, three years, two degrees, four minors. I have had, I've worked with 35,000 plus families, which is probably, you know, that's a couple thousand, 10,000 more than that, just with shelters, rescues. Um, and people having multiple dogs. So 
what I'm telling you is, yes, I could probably at 80 years old still have a whole bunch of Rhodesian Ridgebacks because I don't need to manhandle them. But if you're not me and you're not and you need a service dog, you don't want a dog that's going to start out needy. You don't want a dog who's going to start out being hyper. Um, I was just talking to one of my very, very, very close friends who said that uh, her friend wanted to get a, a service dog, train a service dog, and went out and bought a Malinois that was Schutzend lines. Well, that is not a good dog, okay? Not that it's not going to be good for Schutzend because you can yell and scream at it and it'll hold itself together or shiver and shake, but you can't have a dog like that that's going to be so on edge all the time because that dog might bite a kid or might bite a person or another animal because it's so on edge. Not saying anything about the breed, disparaging the breed. They're wonderful. My husband and I used to use them for police dogs, but they are extremely, um, you know, extremely, um, you know, uh, good and um, great dogs at, at what they do, but that's not what you need them for, right? And, um, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, hopefully for, um, everybody to look at things and to say, all right, I have to be objective. So, for instance, my good friend Jerry Lincoln, who's an author and a wonderful person, Jerry had called me about six months ago, uh, five months ago, her dog Moki, who she actually wrote a book called Moki, the dog who saved me, who rescued me or saved me, I think it is. Um, and I'm in there. Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, but Moki passed away. And she wanted to get another dog. And she called me up. She said, "There, I'm looking at a few different breeds. And I said, none of those breeds is going to be appropriate for you. Why don't you look at this breed, this breed, this breed, and this breed? She said, well, I really you know, like a bigger dog. And I said, yes, but you were maybe 50 when you got that dog. And now you're 65. Well, that's a big difference. So think about if the dog lives 15 years at 50, you're 65. That's still pretty young, right? But if you're 65 and dog lives 15 years, you're going to be 80. There is going to be a little bit of an issue there. So what happened? So I went over things with her. We went to different breeders. Um, and she found an amazing, a beautiful, beautiful little pup. And she bought her. Now, we went through all these AKC breeders of merit. We went through non-AKC breeders. We, went, we ended up with an AKC breeder of merit who was just wonderful, understood what she was looking for. And, and like I do when people want one of my grand champion, you know, best in show puppy, you know, Rhodesian Ridgebacks, I don't let people pick what they want. I'll say, okay, you want a show puppy? These, this is the pick, the second pick, the third and fourth pick. Pick from any of those dogs which one you like the best. And 99% of the time, I don't even have them, they, they won't even say, they'll say, well, I like that one, but this one seems to keep coming over to me. And I always tell people, you're going to love any dog that you get. Any, the sooner you take that dog home, you're going to bond to that dog. doesn't matter because they're dogs. Dogs are wonderful. But I want that dog who said, I want to go home with this family because that's the dog who's not going to be a problem. That's the dog who's going to be the right one for you and for your family. Well, when I do that with service dogs, I'll bring or will bring out, you know, one by one, maybe four or five, six, seven different dogs, all doing the exact same skills, all different breeds, you know, maybe, you know, and ranging from a year and a half, two years old, all the way up to maybe four. And we'll say, okay, these are the dogs that are available. And inevitably, invariably, there's going to be somebody who comes out and says, you know, I, I like that one. I want that one. And the dog couldn't care less about the person. And I look at them and I say, but that dog doesn't want you. You have a crush on the dog, but the dog doesn't know you exist. Does this remind you of a high school crush? And they laugh. We're going to go with what's the dog that wants to go home with you. Because if you don't take that right dog, you're going to still love the dog. But we want that perfect dog. So when we take a service dog specifically, and we're matching a service dog to an owner, a new owner, a child or, or uh, somebody who the dog is going to be serving, all of a sudden, 
we we realized like we got seven different dogs that have the same skills and tasks. What's the difference? What makes what we do, what I do, so different from what everybody else does? And you can actually call us if you have questions at 855-449-9288, or you can call 1-855, the number 4Y, I'm sorry, 4K, the letter K, 9, the number 9, pros, P-R-O-S, or 855-HI-WYATT, W-Y-A-T-T. 855-HI-WYATT, you can call us and ask. We'll tell you information about where to buy a dog. We'll teach you about Wyatt's List. Uh, Wyatt's List, W-Y-A-T-T-S-L-I-S-T, Wyatt'sList.com. Phenomenal resource that you can use to um, be able to really have experts and expert opinions versus having, you know, some 18-year-old who works at Petco not that the person, that 18-year-old doesn't know something, but if the dog food manufacturer gives them an extra dollar a bag for whatever they sell, they're going to be pushing that dog food like a used car salesman. So the key here is make sure you're getting the right dog. Wait. Don't rush through. Don't rush into stuff. Get the right breed. Wait for the right dog from the right breeder. Make sure you feed them well. You care for them well. You set rules and boundaries. You don't have to, you know, be a, be an ogre, okay? What you can do is you can love on your dog. Like my dogs, and people say this all the time, they're like, your dogs are so well-behaved, but it doesn't seem like you correct them. Like, because I'm not living to correct my dogs. I don't get up in the morning and go, okay, I'm going to train my dog not to jump. I just do my life, live my life. And if the dog jumps, I give him a small correction, teach him not to. I go on with my day. I've probably corrected the dog a hundred times. That doesn't jump. But I did it when he was younger and I did it when he was excited. And it wasn't a big deal because he was just learning. Stop focusing so much on your dogs, especially their crazy trainers. I mean, there's some crazies out there. They're like, you know, don't, don't be happy when your dog sees you in the morning, when you come home. From work, don't let the dog, you know, be happy to see you. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but, like, that's what I live for. But my dogs aren't allowed to jump on me when I come home. They can run up or, or walk up to me and wag their tails and give me a kiss, but not they're not going to jump on me. But I want my dogs to come up. I never want to scare my dogs. I never want to throw things, shock them, squirt them, hit them, make noises or air horns, you know, I, some of the stuff that people tell you, they're, they're abusive. I'm sorry. And I won't do that to a dog. I might do it to a lawyer. I might do it to somebody, a, a bad person, a psycho who's trying to hurt me or, or somebody who's trying to kill me. I mean, that I wouldn't hesitate to, you know, you know, plug somebody where they needed to be plugged. But an animal, there's no reason to hurt an animal. Unless you're being attacked by a bear or a lion or something, and the odds of that are pretty minute right now, unless your life is on the line and the dog is vicious, why would you take a sweet dog who just wants to be with you and abuse him, basically? Because that's what it is. Dogs don't understand human language. I call it doganese, like Japanese. Chinese, doganese. It's doganese. Doganese is the language dogs speak, and there are no words. It's bumps and blocks, body postures, leaning in, leaning away, turning your body, different things like that. But never, never, never being cruel or scaring your dog or startling your dog or shocking your dog or zapping your dog or throwing things at your dog. Why? Just imagine if you as a child were subjected to that kind of abuse. Just think about it for a minute. What would happen? Would you be the person you are today or would you be the abused kid who was abusing other kids because you were so messed up by those experiences? Why would you do that to an animal? You bring this animal into your home, into your life, and especially if you want the dog to be a service dog, you you really got to be at the top of your game. That's why we do what we do. And we give them the best vitamins, the best nutrition, the best health, the best health care. Um, I make sure that the dogs are always clean. 
Uh, make sure you're washing the dog's bowls out. If you have a dishwasher, do it every night. If you don't, then wash that out with soap and hot water as if it were one of your dishes. Dogs can get bacteria. You know, yes, they, some dogs eat poop and they lick things off the ground, but that's how they get giardia and that's how they get sick. They can have, oh my God, even, even things like uh, leptospirosis. But you can't help that but you can at least let your dog eat out of a clean dish and not have fly larvae going through his body. So I think that people need to kind of come to terms with the fact that many of you need a dog, need a service dog, and most of you have no talent whatsoever in training that dog. Even if you're listening to me, I can tell you what to do. It's not as if I'm doing it. Now, if you want me to train your dog, if you want me as a behaviorist, to, to create the best service dog possible for you, I'm going to evaluate your dog, make sure that the dog is appropriate. And making sure it's appropriate isn't just size and temperament. The dog has to be bonded to you. The dog has to have a connection to you. And connection is built on trust and respect. Connection is built on clarity. The dog has to trust you, he has to respect you, and he has to be, have clarity that he understands what you're asking for, and then he'll gladly do it. Some dogs don't care. I've, I've, listen, I've trained horses that I look at the person, I say, this is the most talented horse I've ever ridden. He doesn't want to do it. Can I make him do it? Yeah. Is he going to ever be great? No. Why? Because he doesn't want to do it. Find what he loves. Maybe he wants to be a barrel racing horse. Maybe he wants to be a dressage horse. But he doesn't want to be a jumper. He doesn't like it. I know he's big. I know he's capable. But unless you can get him to have as much fun on him as he's having or, or you're having on top of him as he's having under you, and if you don't do that, you're not going to have a great horse. It's the same thing with Rob. So when your dog starts having issues and your dog growls and your local yokel obedience trainer says, well, if, you know, he's setting boundaries, he's telling you don't go near his food. Excuse me, what would you do if your four-year-old, if you went up to your kid and your kid stabbed you in the hand with a knife and said, stay away from my food? You'd hand your kid his hand back and his head with it on a plate. You'd say, that isn't your food. I made that money. I made the plate. I made the food. I own the plate. I own the food. I own the chair you're sitting in. I own the room you're sitting in. And I own your clothing. And as long as you're here, this is not yours. I'm allowing you to use it. Now, we wouldn't necessarily get that much into detail. But if a dog growls, and I, I mean, I hear this and I just cringe. People are so incredibly gullible. It is not okay for your dog to growl at your child. Ever. Ever. And if you teach your dog not to growl at the child, it does not mean that the dog is going to then bite your child instead of growling. It means that the dog is going to learn that the child is above him in a good way, not in a bad way, and that he's not permitted to backtalk a human. Just remember, every human is above every dog, and every dog is below every human. Whether it's a newborn baby, whether it's a cat, the cat's going to be above the dog. Anytime we have a rivalry, potentially, you have to make sure that the, the stronger one thinks he's subservient to the weaker one. So if, let's say, you have a, a baby bunny, who's your pet? That baby bunny could be easily killed by a, by a dog, right? But if you, and, and this is where I can come to your house, if you're local or I can travel, but this is where when you have an animal, you're responsible for teaching the animal. When you add another animal, whether it's the same or different species, it's so, so important to teach them a hierarchy, because that's really what they learn. People say, oh, what, there's no such thing as pack order. Yeah, there is. Why? There isn't because you say there isn't. There's no pack order, so to speak. I hate using that terminology. But there's, there's no strongest to weakness, weakest in humans. Uh, yeah, there is. The elder children tend to have more privileges than the younger. The elder children tend to have a different temperament than the younger or youngest. The father tends to have a different personality than the kids. And I don't mean like as they grow up, I mean 
The father, a good father has to be strong. A good mother has to be strong. They can be friendly with their kids, but their job is not to be their child's friend. Their job is to be their child's parent, guardian, protector, savior, and guide. Our job with dogs is to be their guardian, their protector, their parent, their guide, their everything. And so if a dog thinks that it's above you or above your child or above the cat or above the baby bunny, he has the right to then command that baby bunny or that child. If, however, you, as if you remember Lion King, as the uh, Mufasa holds up Simba, right? Behold, the new king. That's why nobody messed with Simba. That's why nobody messed with that, that the new prince of the kingdom, right? Because of who his father was. They didn't care. He was a little baby. He wasn't going to hurt anybody, but they knew his father was going to come after him. So in a similar way, if your dog understands that your baby who's crawling towards him is above him, instead of the dog growling at your baby to warn him, and of course the baby's not going to know what it is anyway, and it's going to keep crawling and get bitten, you teach the dog, and this is what I do, I teach the dog how to basically move away from higher-ranking family members. So if the child, if a, a baby who's crawling, a little, you know, not even a toddler, but like a little infant who starts crawling and is crawling towards the dog's face first, I want that dog to watch the, for the child. And when the child gets close, I want the dog out of respect, not out of fear, never out of fear. I want that dog out of respect to get up and move somewhere else. And if your dog does that, you'll never have a problem where your child is getting bitten. So, you know, this is a lot of information for you guys, and I'm really glad you tuned in today. Um, just have a wonderful weekend. I'm so glad to share my time with you, and please be safe and take good care of your pets. Take care. Bye-bye.